My name is Stuart Albright. This is a podcast about the messes we make and the messes we endure as our parents get older. It's a story about illness and loss, but it's also a story about joy. When we finally got to Gastonia, it was about three in the morning. I gave my brother Rob a big hug and told him that none of this was his fault, but he was still torn up about it. Our father was dead, and Rob had been there when it happened. We slept for a few hours, then woke up at dawn. We had to tell Mom the bad news. I drove, and Rob sat beside me in the passenger seat. We passed all the familiar landmarks of our childhood, which felt strange because neither of us had lived here in over 20 years. It was like looking in a time capsule or a museum exhibit, and I half expected to see teenage Stu and teenage Rob somewhere outside of my window. But I didn't want to see these people. I wanted to put Gastonia behind me. We reached the rehab facility and waited for a few moments in the car. The sun was just coming up over the trees. We took a deep breath and got out. The receptionist gave us a sad look as we walked down the hall to Mom's room. She was asleep when we got there. Her new oxygen concentrator hummed quietly beside her bed. We pulled up two chairs and sat down. I looked at Rob and I squeezed his shoulder. We gently shook Mom awake and she gave us a weak smile. She was a little disoriented, but we could tell that she recognized us. I took one of her hands and Rob took the other. My brother cleared his throat. Mom, he said, we've got something to tell you. The rest of that week was a terrible blur. My brother and I spent every waking moment trying to figure out what to do with mom. Her brother Lee helped us out every step of the way. Mom clearly couldn't go back to her house and very few assisted living facilities would take her because of her complicated medical history. We set up a war room in the front of my in-law's house and poured over my parents' financial records, their unpaid bills, and their will. I was the power of attorney, which gave me legal power to speak on behalf of our mom. My parents didn't plan much, but at least they planned for that. In the months to come, it would make things so much easier. When we first told my mom that her husband was dead, she handled it about as well as you would expect. She looked shell-shocked and saddened, but she was also too weak to really process the loss. When we saw her the following morning, she looked a little stronger, which was good because we had to deliver some more bad news. We told her that she was going to have to sell her house and her business. She could have said no, and if she did say no, we would have to honor that decision, even though she was in no place to live on her own, let alone run a business. But I could see the relief on her face. She knew that she couldn't do this on her own. So my brother and I spent the next couple of days working from sunup to sundown to find her a place to live. My wife Jenny and the boys went back to Durham and called every night to see how things were going. Dad, good, good morning. I'm about to go to school and good, good, luck, good luck with Nanny and finding things that will help me and may God bless you. Here's Kaysen. Give us a big smile. We think that front tooth might come out today. It is really loose. K 
you tell Dad you love him? Love you. We drove all over Gastonia, visiting assisted living facilities and calling insurance adjusters and meeting with real estate agents, lawyers, and accountants, snagging food on the go, and stopping by to give Mom updates along the way. It made her happy to see Rob and I together. When she asked us if we were having a good time hanging out, we just smiled and told her to focus on getting stronger. We didn't have the heart to tell her about the crushing decisions we had to make. And our time together was special. Rob and I have always been close, but I don't know how I could have done this without him. We each have our own strengths, and we divided the work as we went. We were also lucky to have supportive wives who took care of everything on the home front and allowed us to focus all of our energy on our mom. Then we had Uncle Lee to fill in the gaps that were remaining with military precision. Progress was slow but steady. We chose a real estate agent to sell mom's house, and we chose another real estate agent to sell the shop. Dad had a small life insurance policy, and the proceeds from that would take care of mom for a few months, at least until one of the properties sold. We were incredibly grateful for this, but it also made us sad to think that none of these things would be possible if Dad was still alive. After a few days, we finally found a decent assisted living facility for mom. When she got out of the rehab facility, she would have a new home for the first time in 40 years. More importantly, she would have a team of trained staff to look after her. The rehab facility agreed to release mom so that she could attend her husband's funeral. She was getting stronger and her room was constantly filled with visitors to lift her spirits. Every free counter space was covered in flowers and cards. But the day before the funeral, mom woke up and discovered that she could barely breathe. So they immediately sent her back to the hospital. Rob called me with the news and we agreed to meet her at the hospital within the hour. I had allowed myself to think that things were getting better. We'd found a home for mom. We were getting her finances in order or at least some semblance of order. I was ready for the funeral to get here so I could start to grieve for my father. But like so many things before, a single phone call sent me lurching into the next crisis. I parked outside of the emergency room and waited in the car. I began to sob, to shout, to pound my fists against the steering wheel. My whole body shook with grief. I didn't want mom to suffer anymore. I wanted God to take her away. I screamed at him for putting our family through this, and I screamed at myself for not being strong enough to carry this burden. I pounded the steering wheel until I was overcome with exhaustion. Somehow my mom lived through the night. All of this felt so strange. I couldn't grieve for my dad because my mom needed me. The responsibility hung about me like a thick fog, propelling me onward, bonding my brother and me together as we tried to figure out how to look after a woman who had looked after us for so many years. But at least we had each other. All of this got me thinking, what would happen to mom if she didn't have children to look after her? or a life insurance policy from a dead husband, or property to sell. So many people get sick and they don't have any resources. This burden felt crushing to me, but what would it be like for other families? What would it be like for your family or your neighbor's family? How will our society continue to function 
As more and more people get older, as medicine continues to get more expensive, as home ownership becomes more of an impossibility. The funeral happened the following day. Before the service, I shook hands with countless people who knew and loved my dad. Then my brother and I held it together as we spoke to the large crowd about what our father meant to us. My mom was able to watch the funeral from a laptop in her hospital room. A whole crowd of people stayed in the room with her, showering her with love and never leaving her side. After the funeral, my brother and I left the church and took a deep breath. We checked the final tasks off of our list, knowing that the list would fill up again, but for not for a few days. We grabbed dinner at a local diner called Aro's Barbecue. Growing up, Dad took us to Aro's every Saturday, and as we sat there, I could almost hear his voice, my childhood laughter, and my brother's childhood laughter. The fries tasted the same, and the smell of deep-fried grease brought everything back to me. I said a prayer of thanks for my dad, this imperfect man who had been present for every step of my life. Then I said a silent prayer for my mother, weak and broken but still hanging on to life. Finally, I said a prayer for my brother, who was still my best friend after all these years. My mom eventually got strong enough to leave the hospital. In one week's time, she had lost her husband, her house of 40 years, and her livelihood. I sat in my classroom back in Durham, fighting back the tears as I watched the video of my mom being wheeled into her new home, the nursing staff lining the halls to welcome her. In the video, mom looks tired, but she smiles anyway, and you can tell, beneath everything, that she's ready to meet this new adventure with her head held high. It's November 12th, 2019. A month later, thousands of miles away in Wuhan, Hubei province, China, a small cluster of patients will begin to experience shortness of breath and fever. Their sickness will take a few months to spread before the world starts to pay attention to it. For the time being, I don't think about things like that. I'm just grateful that my mom is getting stronger. I'm ready for my life to get back to normal but I have to get ready for a new normal. This journey is far from over. The Mess Podcast was written and edited by me, Stuart Albright, with grateful assistance from Robert Albright, Molly Albright, and Jenny Albright. Technical support and resources were provided by the Jordan Innovation Lab. This podcast attempts to honor the complicated legacy of my parents, Nancy and Alan Albright. If you have questions or comments, feel free to contact me at stewardalbright at yahoo.com.